start today by doing something. You guys ready to do something with me today? No one knows I'm going to do this. I should have Callie in here with me. She's not, but I should. I'm going to start by teaching you a song. Alrighty, and you're going to do it with me. This is this. Okay, you're going to have to raise your hands and do some stuff. I'm going to go. We're going to do it through once. I'm going to sing it, and we're going to do it. And if you know it, join with me. And then we're going to sing it through together once. And it's got something to do with my sermon. All right. So ready? Goes this. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are His, the valleys are His, the stars are His handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. All right, who's heard that song before? All right, now you're going to join me because I'm not a good soloist, right? Do I, did I make the worship team cut? I, I did, all right. So ready, now you're going to sing loud with me. Help me out, ready? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are His, the valleys are His, the stars are His handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. All right, give yourselves a hand. There is an, an important, well, first of all, that's a song that Josh and Brett grew up singing their whole lives. We sang it with them. I, Suzanne probably taught it to us. I don't know. But then we sing it to our grandkids. So Callie, well, we do a little, you know, well, Callie, when her and I do this, she does it to the point that she's going to fall over. And, and uh, you know, she, and we have fun. And she, she shows us her muscles so strong, you know. And so we have a blast singing that song. But that song has a message to it. It's, a, it's an important lesson in that song. The lesson is, is, is this. It's God is so big. God created everything, and God's ways are above and beyond our ways. You know, I have no idea how God created the stars in the sky. The stars are His handiwork, too. I have no idea how He did that. I have no idea how God created the cosmos and the galaxies and, and how He created the human hand. How did God do it? I have no idea. Friends, here's the deal. God is way beyond us. Some of us in this room, some of you guys are really, really smart. You know, some person next to you is really smart, so you're pretty smart. You know what? If not, just keep your mouth shut. But uh, some of you are really smart, some of you are really intelligent, but guess what? God is infinitely beyond you. He's infinitely beyond me. And all we really know, here's what we're trying to get at today, the first thing we want to get at, that all we really know about God is what God discloses to us. All you and I really know about God is what God reveals to us. We didn't somehow figure out God. The only thing we know about God is what God shows us about himself. So we see some things about God from creation. 
We look around, Romans talks about you see creation and you see the, you see the handiwork of God. And so when you see creation, we, we learn some things about God. We understand God is he's artistic, that he's limitlessly creative. Look at, his, look at his world. It's one of the sad things about living in, in urban settings is we miss the connection to nature. But when you look at nature, you look at creation, and even in an urban setting, if the lights are down, at least you can see the stars. But we see God as limitlessly creative. That God made the beautiful, delicate rose, but he also made a three-toed sloth and a narwhal. You know what a narwhal is? It's a funny-looking fish with a long beak, a long point on it. I guess it's for poking through ice or something is what it is. It lives under the ice cap. God created a rose and God created, he created an aardvark and a platypus. Why would God do that? God is showing something about himself. He's revealing something about himself. He's saying, I'm artistic. I'm limitlessly creative. He's He's showing us who he is. So that's one way that God helps us to understand him is through creation. We also understand some things about God from his word, the Bible. Now, the Bible is inspired by God. God inspired people to write it. Sometimes we get a little misunderstanding of what that means. We think that somehow people, they think they, I see this, and especially in our kind of settings, they worship the Bible. But you understand, the Bible is supposed to be, this Bible is supposed to be a tool for revealing God to us. That's what the Bible is. It's a tool for revelation, for us understanding. Um, And so what are some of the things? We see lots of things about God from the Bible, but what are some of the things we see about God from the Bible? We see that God is loving from the Bible. He's he's, he's a shepherd who cares for his people. We see that God is just, that he he has rules and regulations, and he says, your best life is when you follow these things, and if you don't, things don't turn out so good for you. We see that God has a plan in the Bible. You know, one of the most common verses or most understood verses in the whole Bible is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but would have eternal life, everlasting life. Well, that shows a plan. That God had a plan from the beginning. He would send his son to rescue people so they could have eternal life. That God has a plan. We find that in the pages of Scripture. So God's revealing that to us. He's saying, I have a plan. I'm just, I'm loving. God's showing this. And yet the most complete revelation of God, the most complete understanding of God that we have, comes through Jesus himself, the Son of God. Jesus came as one of us to more fully reveal to us who God is because he is God come in human flesh, the incarnation. So in Jesus, we understand things. Matter of fact, if you want to really understand God and you want to understand the Bible, let's say this way, and you understand creation, you must look at all of them through the lens of Jesus. The fullest revelation of God is Jesus. When you see, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the fullest revelation of God is Jesus and Jesus walking as a human And so the fullest revelation of what we should be like is Jesus. And so if you want to understand God, you want to understand those things of the Old Testament that don't make sense, those things about creation, you look at them all through the the revelation of God to man through Jesus, the incarnate God. So we come to know about God from what he reveals to us. You're not the genesis of what you know about God. You're not the, institu- the, the initiator. God is revealing to us who he is, and he's revealing to us what he's doing. 
God's the one doing it. He's revealing to us who He is, and He's revealing to us um, what He's doing, right? Through His Word, through His, through His Spirit, through creation, through His church. He's revealing to us who He is and what He's doing. Now, if you're visiting with us today, we're going through the Gospel of Luke, chapter by chapter. And this whole introduction has to do with how something that the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, is going to teach us today. So Luke chapter 7 has something very important to say to us about this idea, this concept, about understanding what God is, who He is, and what He is revealing to us about what He is doing. And chapter 7 basically says this. Remember, we're trying to look at the macro view of the chapters in addition to some minor points, but we're looking at the macro view of chapter 7. The big view, the overview of chapter 7 says basically something like this, that any of us is totally capable of completely misunderstanding what God is up to and even fighting against what God is up to. And any of us is also capable of understanding what God is up to and being part of what He's doing. This chapter 7 talks about, this is what we're going to think about today. Any one of us, and we don't like to hear this, what I'm going to say here, any one of us, who said, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing like any of us, is totally capable of misunderstanding what God is up to and even fighting against what God is up to. And any one of us is also capable of understanding what God is up to and being part of what God is doing. As we look at chapter 7, what we see is situation after situation where people were trying to figure out what God was up to And sometimes they got it right, and sometimes they got it wrong. So let's start off by looking at, we're going to read, basically read part of, most of chapter 7, but in two big chunks. We're going to start out in chapter 7, starting in verse 18, it's going to be about John the Baptist, and then some things tied to John the Baptist and his ministry. So we're going to read from 18 to 35, and I know as we're going through this, we've been reading bigger chunks of scripture than we normally would. But I want, you, I, want to, I want you to see the big picture and I want the, spirit, the word of God to speak to you and inform you and, and form you in your thinking. So chapter 7, starting in verse 18 down to verse 35, let's read that. It says this, The disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, the disciples of John reported to him about all these things. And the, the things before this were miracles. So reporting to Jesus about all the miracles that Jesus was doing. Verse 19, Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, that's to Jesus, saying, are you the expected one or the Messiah or do we look for someone else? When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and he gave sight to many who were blind And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Remember, John ministered out in the wilderness. A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? 
A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. He's preparing the way for the Messiah. Verse 28. And I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Verse 30. But... The Pharisees and the lawyers, and the lawyers here means experts in the Mosaic law. The Pharisees and the experts in the law, Mosaic law, religious law, rejected God's purposes for themselves, not having been baptized by John. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation, and what are they like, Jesus said. They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance, and we sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he is a demon. But the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Now, there's all kinds of micro things we could look at in there. I considered saying, you know, what's it mean that John is least than the person in the kingdom? All kinds of things. But there's this big overarching thing in Luke chapter 7 that we have to see. What do we see here? The big picture we see is we see people trying to figure out what God is doing. That's what we're really trying to say. There are people trying to figure out what God is doing in their day through their circumstances that they're living in. First, we see John the Baptist. John is trying to figure out if Jesus really is the promised Messiah. You know, we saw in the previous chapters how John was called to be a forerunner of the Messiah and how he had been, how he told the people already that Jesus was the Messiah. Remember his words about Jesus? Behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He had already said to the crowd, this is the Messiah. But things were not going according to what John thought ought to be happening when the Messiah came. That according to the conceived idea in John's mind about who the Messiah would be and how the Messiah would act and what the Messiah would do. He's thinking, you know what, I thought I understood what God was doing, but I'm not because you don't seem to be lining up with my preconceived idea, my notion of what I think the Messiah should be. See, John expected Jesus to rise up to power, overthrow Roman control, and establish the eternal kingdom of God, eternal God's rule and reign on the earth with Jerusalem as the, as the centerpiece. Yet here was Jesus. What was the, one of the main things about Jesus' ministry that was so alarming to people like John and to his disciples? He stayed in the shadows. Jesus did the exact opposite of what almost any ministry would do today. He heals somebody. He says, shut up, don't tell anybody, Get a, go. We would put it on TV and make it on the 6 o'clock news. Somebody got healed at Portview, come on to Portview. Jesus did just the opposite. Jesus is not filling the bill of what they think the Messiah is supposed to be like. He's, he's staying in the shadows. He's on a path towards crucifixion. It was be, well before his crucifixion and he started telling his disciples that he's going to suffer. 
So he's, he's staying in the shadows. He's on a path of crucifixion. And John the Baptist could not conceive an idea in his mind of a suffering Savior. Although Isaiah had prophesied it, it just didn't enter his radar. Or not anybody else's radar screens. And so here this guy comes. Jesus, he's the Messiah, but he's not fitting the mold. To John, Jesus did not seem to be doing what he believed that God should be doing at this unique time in history. So John is confused, and he sends people to question Jesus. Are you him or aren't you? I'm just not sure what's going on here. So you got that so far? Okay, let's move on to the next group of people in this same story. Let's look at the other people in this situation that we just read that are trying to figure out what God is up to. First of all, There's two other groups. Jesus identifies one group and he calls them this. I like it. The people and the tax collectors. You know your occupation's terrible. One of all the rank and file rotten people around, he identifies you. The people and the tax collectors. And it's verse 29. You know, the people and the tax collectors. These are just the rank and file crowd. The people. The average Joe. The everyday ordinary sinner. Person. Who's living a -a workaday world. That's the one group. But then there's another group here. The Pharisees and the lawyers. The Pharisees and the experts in the Mosaic law. So these are the religious crowd. These are the the religious leaders. They they preach sermons on Sunday morning while everybody else sits and listens. They study the Bible. Well, they're in the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew words. They, they, They worked really hard. People always give these guys a bad rap. Understand, they misunderstood, but it wasn't necessarily because they didn't try. They tried harder than the rest. These guys, think of Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee before he became, when he was Saul of Tarsus, before he became Paul, the Apostle. He says he was the best Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was found faultless and blameless in keeping the law. Think how much effort that takes. The Jews had 613 laws. Think how much work it took to do that. These people studied, they tried really hard. To, to, to figure out what God is doing. They, they did all those things. And that group is there. You know, so that group is there. And the, the people that are just the tax collectors and the sinners. Right? So two different... So we had John already. Now we have two more groups. The people and the tax collectors, rank and file. The religious crowd. The ones who study and work hard, really work hard. And their whole life is focused around trying to, trying to figure it out and, and live it out. And help other people. So in those groups, what do we see? Some of them came in line with what God was doing, and some of them didn't. Interestingly, in this story, it was the average, less religiously educated who lined up with what God was doing through John. This is what verse 29 says. Look at verse 29. When all the people and all the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice so having been baptized with the baptism of John, understand they understood what God was doing, God was right, and they followed in line with what God was doing, and they got baptized by John. While the religious experts missed it, and they even criticized John and Jesus, who are, who are the star players in the, in the plan of God at that time. Look at verses 33 and 34. For John the Baptist, this is what they, the Pharisees said. And the Sadducees, the leaders, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he's a demon. And the son of man comes eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So he's saying that 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 group, they not only, they they just completely misunderstand, not only just misunderstand it, they criticize the very plan of God. So what what do we know 
from this first section, verses 18 through 35. What do we know? We know that God has a plan for mankind and that John the Baptist is part of that plan and Jesus is part of that plan. Yet John himself is confused as to whether or not Jesus really is the Messiah. Do I follow in the pa- that plan that I thought was the plan? And the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's plan. Look at verse 30. It says, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. So God had a plan for them. They rejected it by not having been baptized by John. And I would add this. I think they did it unintentionally. I don't think they said, we've set out to reject God's plan. They were devoted to following God's plan. They just did not have, and we're going we're to wrap this up by saying, what's it take to make sure you get in line with God's plan? They just were going in the wrong direction. So, so John is confused. The Pharisees are rejecting. Well, it says the average Joe, the, 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 the average Joe and the tax collectors, lined up with God's plan through the ministry of John the Baptist. So some got it and some didn't. Make sense so far? You got it? Some got it, followed it, some didn't get it and rejected it. Now, let's look at the next section of Scripture because we're going to see something. So keep in mind what we just said. Now go to verse 36. We're going to read to verse 50. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. So this, this box, a vial of, 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 a, of stone like that was very valuable. Verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she kept kissing them, kissing and wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he thought this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who who and what sort of person this woman who is touching him is and that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, this is not Simon Peter, but Simon the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. He gives him a parable. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, that's like 500 days of wages, and the other 50. And they were unable to repay, and he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, another set of stories and people. What do we see here? We see basically a Pharisee not able to grasp that Jesus 
is the Son of God. He even questions. He goes, this guy is a prophet. He would know what's going on. Shows his wrong narrative about how God looks at, at all people. He thinks that God looks down at people who are, quote, sinners instead of understanding that God sees all of us as sinners. Um, so Pharisees, not able to grasp that Jesus is the Son of God, while this sinful woman, and a lot of people would say the sinful woman is a prostitute, this sinful woman from town is able to see who Jesus is and even ministers to Jesus. It's very much the same situation as earlier in chapter 7. Some people in the story were able to be part of what God was doing, while others actually missed it, and a lot of them actually fought against it. Now, here is the million-dollar question for today. Based on all of that, the main thing we need to focus on, here's all these people, some get it, some don't get it. What's the million-dollar question? What made the difference? What made the difference? How come some people entered into the activity of God while others missed it, others misunderstood it, and others even fought against it? Friends, this is important for us. You wouldn't be here, if you are, I don't know why you're here, if you didn't care about what God is doing in our day and our age. If you didn't care about it, there's other things you could do this morning. The very fact that you're here tells me that this ought to be important, or this is important to all of us. I want to be part of the activity of God in my day and age. I don't want to fight against what God is doing. I want to be part of it. And I have to imagine, so would every one of you, unless you were dragged here in shackles this morning. Right? We want to be part of what God is doing. We want to understand it. So, what made the difference? First of all, let's say what the answer cannot be. Because this has been the answer that some people have tried to give over years of church history, and it just doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. You know what it can't be? It can't be that the religiously educated, the Pharisees and the lawyers, missed it because they were you know, more, too learned and too serious maybe about, about learning and, and, while, and, it, and it, it somehow corrupted them. While those who took their religion maybe less seriously, um, they got it. It can't be that. God is not trying to make a case for not to, um, taking one's faith seriously or not learning theology or not studying his word. He's absolutely not making a case for that. In fact, we see other Pharisees who did get it. Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul the Apostle. He did get it. Um, and they, and they, they do follow Jesus. They do enter into the activity of God. People like Nicodemus. Remember who Nicodemus was? He's the one who comes to Jesus. It's recorded in the Gospel of John, the third chapter. We already quoted John 3.16. That comes out of the encounter with Nicodemus. He goes, what do you mean i got to be born again? What's that mean? That was Nicodemus, a, a, a Pharisee. Comes to Jesus and says, you know what? Um, help me understand. He, he got it. He knew Jesus was the right one. He's like, I need to learn from you. What I know is not taking me where I need to go. Jesus, you have the answers. That's Nicodemus. We also have people like Joseph of Arimathea. Who's Joseph Arimathea? He's the man, the follower. He is from the Jewish council. And he's a follower of Jesus. And when Jesus is dead on the cross and they take his down, take him down, Joseph Arimathea gets the body of Jesus and has him buried in a tomb. He's a, he's a member of the Jewish council. So it can't be that God's trying to say, you know what, simply saying, you know what, uh, you're too educated. And you know what? The Assemblies of God history has been guilty of this, of this misunderstanding. Our history, not so much anymore, was that, you know, oh, don't go to cemetery. That was the name for seminary. Oh, don't you go to cemetery. It'll kill you. 
you know what? You can go to the wrong place and learn the wrong things and it can be damaging to you. But he's not trying to say here that he's trying to say it's about the people missed out because they were just, they were just too educated. Can't be. So if that's not it, and that's what church history has often tried to apply to this section. So what could it be? What allows some to see what God is up to while others miss out? The answer has to be about the condition of the heart. The answer has to be about the condition of the heart. Those who met Jesus and found forgiveness in Jesus and and became involved in the activity of the kingdom of God had this. They had humble and responsive hearts. They had humble and responsive hearts. Look, Jesus wasn't doing the things. Let's look at this, this people in the story. Jesus wasn't doing the things that John the Baptist thought that Jesus should do according to his preconceived concept of the Messiah. But John didn't reject him because of that. Here's showing the condition of his heart. John didn't reject Jesus because he didn't meet his preconceived idea. Rather, what did he do? He looked to Jesus for clarification. John's in prison. He sends his disciples. Find out what is in. You know what the disciples, what Jesus says to them? You know, hey, go tell John, the, the lame walk, the blind receive sight, the poor. He's, he's quoting scripture that was referenced to the, to the Messiah from the Old Testament. And John's going, oh, 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 I get it now. I'm figuring out who you are. He gets clarification. You see, friends, this. Pride says, and the older we get, the more insidious pride becomes. It's easy to see pride in a young man. They just think they can do anything. And you go, what do you, what do you all say? I'll say a little age on us. They'll learn. They'll learn. <laughs> They'll. But it's much more difficult to see it in an older person because we hide it differently. We don't even know it a lot of times. It's we think we have it all figured out. Because maybe the path you've walked in life and I've walked in life leads us on something that goes up and to the right. And everything seems to be roses in our life. And, and everybody goes, wow, you got it all figured out. And you start believing it. And I start believing it. We got it all figured out. It's easy to happen in the church world because we gather around us a bunch of people who think just like us and we have group think and we go, we got it all figured out. Pride says, I know it all. I have it all figured out. That was the problem with the Pharisees and the lawyers. They had studied, which is good. They had learned, which is good. And they believed that they had understood who God is and what God was doing and and how God would do things. And when Jesus didn't fit that, they rejected him. Instead of being open, their pride says it can't be because I have all the answers. But John was different. He had a humble heart. He knew, you know what he knew? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. That's what John knew. That God could do things that didn't make sense to him. So he says, are you the one? And they come back and they say, here's what's going on. And he quotes the Old Testament. He goes, bingo. It's just not what I thought. But it's God. John knew he didn't have, all, have it all figured out. So he looked for clarification. He was open to learn and to grow. Friends, humility believes that you don't, have it all, you don't have all the answers. And met friends, especially as we get older, it is so easy to fall into the rut of believing we have all the answers, we have it all figured out, and you have the answer for everybody. We have had guys in the past in, 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 uh, in Christian circles called like the Bible answer man, thinking he has all the answers. The most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. I have all the answers. 
I'm not the Bible answer man. And neither are any of us in this room, and neither was John. But the Pharisees thought they were. I'm not saying we don't learn and study, and we can have answers. I'm not saying we can't know the truth. We can know the truth, and the truth will set us free. But humility believes that we don't have it all figured out. We don't have all the answers. So we open. We are open to what God is doing, even if it doesn't fit in our little God box that we've created. We need to ask ourselves, are we humble enough to be open to what God is doing among us? Or do we have God in such a tight theological box that says he has to act in certain ways and do things in certain ways, or if it's not, it just can't be God? Friends, here's the deal. We can miss God if we are like the Pharisees and we we believe we have got all this Christian life figured out and we know what he's going to do next and we know what what we think is all going to happen. We have all the answers. In fact, we have, in some places, we have uh, charts that explain everything that God is going to do in human history from now through eternity. Friends, let's be careful. God's bigger than our charts and God's bigger than our graphs, and He's bigger than our, than our Assemblies of God theology. There's all kinds of wonderful other Christian people that see it a little bit different than we are, and it's such arrogance to say, we got it all figured out, and they're all going to hell, or they're all just stupid. No, they're not. God's bigger than us. He's bigger than us. And humility says, God knows what He's up to, and I just want to be part of what he's doing. I want to draw close to his side and know him as he's revealed in creation and in scripture and through Jesus. I want to know him. So a key to being involved in the activity of God is having a humble heart. A humble heart says, I don't know it all, but God, I'm open to what you have for me and I want to learn it through your word and through the revelation of Jesus and through creation. I want to learn it through these things. I don't have it all figured out. But friends, it goes beyond that. We said the million-dollar question is, how did it happen? How, how, how Some got it and some didn't. And we said, first of all, they had a humble heart, but it goes beyond that. It also goes to having a responsive heart. And this is key. Responsive heart. Look at the people in chapter 7 that are shown to be in line with the activity of God. We basically have John the Baptist, the sinner woman who washed Jesus' feet, and the people and the tax collectors. They were the ones that Jesus is saying, they have it figured out. They're, or I should say, they're doing it right. So what did they all have in common? They were responsive. They were responsive. So when John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance, what did they do? They got baptized. What did the Pharisees do? I ain't going to get baptized with that guy. And it says in the text... The Pharisees rejected God's purposes, but the other group acknowledged God's justice and followed what God wanted them to do. They were responsive. So they responded. They got baptized. What else did they do? What did the lady do? The the sinner lady at the Pharisee's house. She anointed Jesus' feet with oil and washed his feet with her hair. She responded to what God was asking her to do. And Jesus used her as an illustration to teach, to say, Pharisee... You're missing it here. So they responded. When God was stirring their hearts, they responded with action. See, we see in these stories the Pharisees resisting what was happening. 
but we see those that Jesus praises as responding to what God is doing. Being involved in the activity of the kingdom isn't passive. It takes action. A lot of times we say this, well, I know it. We can sit in the church pew every week. I can stand up here. I know it. Getting it all figured out. And never respond and get involved in what God is doing. Let me give you an example. Now, I don't mean this, honestly, you guys know my heart. I, I always tell you, I never try to use guilt or condemnation ever because guilt and condemnation never achieve lasting results. So I don't want to do it. It actually, turn, it actually ends up backwards because people have short-term results that then they don't last and then they go further backwards in their walk with God. Well, let me give you an example of how this can work. Can. I believe that two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago, our hometown hero outreach was an activity of the kingdom of God. I absolutely believe, I believe God spoke to us and told us to do it, to our leadership of the church. I, I absolutely believe it. I believe God said to do it. It all came together. Many people got involved. And what we did is we showed the love of Jesus to many people who don't know him. It was very obvious being in the group of people that came that we, that we uh, blessed that day with the love of Jesus that most of them didn't have a clue about Jesus. I sat and talked to a lot of them. Um, how did we do it? How did we do Hometown Heroes? People responded to the activity of God. Many of us in this place, many of you were part of God's activity because you responded and you got involved. You said, God's doing something. I want to be part of it. I'm going to get involved with the activity of God. I think that's how it works. Being part of what God is doing in our time and in our location is more than just understanding truth about God and then going off by yourself and saying, I understand the truth. It's about being involved. It's about being engaged in the activity of God. That might mean you've got to give up some other activities. But it's saying what activities are more important. It's about being involved in the activity of God. The people didn't just hear about John the Baptist, the people and the sinners. They didn't just hear about him. They went out to the wilderness. Jesus said, why did you go out to the wilderness? They left their homes, went out to the wilderness, heard the message of John, and John said, repent, a baptism, repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. And they said, I'm a sinner, baptize me. And they went down into the water and they got baptized. They got involved. They responded. So the key that we see in chapter 7 about how to be open to and engage in the activity of God is to be people who have humble and responsive hearts. And I think a good way to end would be to ask God to help us with this. To invite Him to change our hearts to let him know that we want to be humble in heart and involved in the activity. And we're going to ask him, would you please open our minds to it? And we're going to start, we're going to have that in a minute. We're going to pray that direction. And that's important. But there's something else that's, that's more important. And Stephanie's not back there. She's over. Keenan, unless you can't find it, there was a slide I told Stephanie to not put in the triangle. Can you find that? You got it. Wow. Ask and you shall receive. I had not intended on putting this in today. And I reviewed my sermon today, this morning, and I said, I have to. Because what we're talking about is having a renovated heart. That's what this is. It's a heart of humility and responsiveness is a renovated heart. It's a heart of change.
And we, we know around here some truth. That change of the heart does not happen through going, I'm going to change my heart, I'm going to change my heart. My easy way to close is to say, I'm just going to pray, stand with me. I'm going to pray over you. Oh God, give us different hearts. You know what I know from 30 years of being a pastor? That might be a good starting place if people acknowledge they want to change, but that doesn't change you. You know what changes us? The triangle of transformation. This is all called the renovation of the heart. And you know what it is? It requires activity. So I'm going to, you guys are familiar with it somewhat, but I just want to say this. The changing of your heart to become more like Jesus, which is a humble heart and a responsive heart and many other things, happens indirectly. The way it happens is that, that um, I can't just say, I want a heart like Jesus because we have no evidence that it ever works because the will does not have the power to change us. But we know from church history um, and from the Bible that we can do certain things that help us to change, to renovate our heart, to make our hearts different. We can address what we believe, the narratives we believe. In this story, what I was going to focus on was the wrong narrative of the Pharisee. And I just said, no, there's a macro thing I can talk about here. But you want to see this. The wrong narrative of the Pharisee. The Pharisee said this, oh my goodness, if you would have known the kind of sinner that woman is, you, would, you wouldn't even let her touch you. Totally wrong narrative. If your narratives begin to line up with scriptures, you know what happens? You just see this up, jump off the page. You go, oh my goodness, his narrative is wrong. I read so many things from our own denomination, and I'm like, the narrative's wrong. Oh, that rotten, crazy sinner. We're all rotten, crazy sinners. All of us. Every one of us. And so what we have to do is we have to re-narrate our lives. We have to say, does what I believe line up with what the Word of God says about me and God? Then what we do is we do spiritual soul training exercises that are things that we, are we activities we actively, on purpose, engage in that open our hearts up to the available presence of the Holy Spirit. And we're saying this, I'm open to you. So one of a, a spiritual exercise was coming together for prayer before church. Now, it's a spiritual tra- soul training exercise. It's opening up your heart to the available presence of God. And as you did that this morning, something there was a great sense of the presence of God in this place this morning. Why? I believe wholeheartedly it was partly due because of the soul training activity that many of you did to open your heart to the presence of God. So when our worship team led us in worship, you didn't have to go from here to here to get to worship. You were already here, and you just said, let's tell God how much we love Him. That's a soul training activity. It's not about earning favor with God. It's about opening your heart to the activity of the Lord so he can give you a humble and a responsive heart so you can respond in worship. Community, you do it with a group of people who are going in the same direction that can challenge you and encourage you and even correct you. This process, and it's all empowered by the Holy Spirit, this process is how we renovate the heart. And renovating the heart, we all have a heart. It's all been formed by the world we live in. We are all spiritually formed by the world we live in, but we've got to understand the world forms it wrong, and we've got to redo it. We've got to reform it. And the way we reform it is through the triangle of change. We know it works. We, we, we renovate our hearts. But you know what it takes? It takes, it takes some act, act, energy. It takes some activity. It takes some, what? Oh, responsiveness to what God is saying. What do we see in the story? They heard about John, and then they responded to go out to the wilderness and get baptized. It's not only a humble heart that was open to receiving, it's a heart that says, yes, I'm going to do the right thing. And so we have, you know, we give opportunities for us in our, in our spiritual, in our formation classes for you to grow. And man, a whole bunch of you, a ton of you showed up Wednesday night. 
was the first week of our, of our things, and this is not an advertisement for Wednesday night, but I'm saying it's, it's the best place we have in our church for the renovation of your heart. And so what this is all about, it's all about inviting God to renovate our heart. And if we have a heart that is humble, so we see here, humble and responsive, then we're open to the activity of God and we get in line. We get, become part of, we're the ones that Jesus says, this is what I want, I want him to lump me in this category. Mark is just the person and the tax collectors. I want to be in that group. Doesn't praise them for anything else. They're just, they're just rank and file people and, and sinners. But you know what? When God was moving among them, they got on board because they didn't think they, they, they weren't closed to it because they had all the answers and they weren't so busy doing other things, other even religious activity or whatever activity that they could not say, we're stopping it all and we're going to go out in the wilderness and we're going to find John and listen to what he says and we're going to respond. So friends, here's the deal. I'm responsible for the renovation of my heart. I can't renovate anybody else's heart. And man, I'm in the process of trying to figure that out because a lot of times my heart really makes me upset. There's a thing next to my bed that I wrote years ago and I still reread it all the time and it says this, imagine, something along these lines, imagine if you just loved. That in every circumstance, every person you see, you felt, you didn't fake it, you felt love toward that person. It says, imagine what life would be like. Imagine, you know what that's a result of? A renovated heart. It's a process. We're in, the, we're in process. And so I just welcome you into the process of renovation and say, you know what? However you want to engage in these things, to narrate your life, to, to look at what you believe, to honestly spend energy looking at what you believe. You know why we don't like to do that? Because it's really hard when you find things that you don't believe, that you realize you would believe are wrong and it requires change and growth. And that is uncomfortable. But man, it's freeing. It's freeing takes time to engage in spiritual activities, soul training exercises, but man, it's good. And you know what? Community, connect groups, small groups in cl our classes, you know what? Building bonds with people who challenge you in your faith. It's essential. So now I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Could have stopped 10 minutes earlier and just prayed over you. God bless you, go in peace. But hopefully now you have a little bit of a, of a path forward that says, okay, I can do these things. I can do these things. I can challenge my narratives. I can engage in soul training activities. And if you don't know how to, we'll help you learn how to do it. Um, we have all kinds of classes for it. And um, I'm going to do it with people going in the same direction. If you choose to not do this, I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm just saying it's a scary place when you think you have all the answers and um, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want any of you to that miss what God is doing. So Heavenly Father, we stand before you today as sinners, beloved sinners, beloved first, but beloved sinners. And Lord, we see the macro view of chapter 7. It's saying that it is possible to miss everything you're doing and even fight against it. And it's possible to see it and be part of it. And what I want for Portview Church, for every one of us and anybody who's visiting with us today, I want us 
to be the people who are lumped with the lady who anointed Jesus' feet and John the Baptist who investigated when things didn't make sense and, and, um, and uh, the f- people who went out to be baptized by John. I want us to be people of humble hearts and responsive hearts. And so, Father, today, on behalf of our church family, I, I lift this up to you today. And I ask you, God, for the, for the activity of the Spirit in our lives that would lead to the passion of saying, I want a renovated heart. But some of our hearts are so encased in pain and in guilt and in shame that we haven't even felt them forever. And Lord, I know this, before we can hardly even get into the activity to deal with the heart, there needs to be a work of the Spirit. A work of of beginning to tear away that coating, the pain, the shame, the hurt, the failure. Lord, we ask, give us hearts that are open and responsive. So Lord, all that crust on the outside, would you break it and would you crush it and would you cause it to be blown away like dust? So that Lord, we have hearts that are open before you that can be transformed. And Lord, here's our prayer today. We pray that we would be people of humble hearts and people of responsive hearts. People of of, of hearts that are renovated. And so, Father, we, we ask, I ask this for our church family. Would you show us how you want us to walk that out? It's going to be maybe somewhat different for every person, Lord, but show us how you want us to be engaged for the renovation of our heart. And Lord, I ask this for every person now. As you're maybe bringing to our heart and our mind something, a first step, we want to make a vow today, a commitment to being responsive. We're saying yes, we're starting to understand it because we're humble enough to know we, we, need, we need direction. But now there's a direction, there's a path. And Lord, the first step. For some, it's just saying, hey, they started classes last Wednesday and they're going to be committed to actually doing the, doing the work and showing up in class and doing the spiritual exercises. And that's awesome. Brothers, there's something else. Show us what our first steps are. And right now, Lord, what we ask is this. Help us by your spirit to be committed to walking that out. Lord, I know this. We probably might need some help if it's been a problem in the past. So show us in our minds, in our mind and heart right now, who could be a person, a friend or family member that we could say to that person, I want you to hold me accountable. This is what I believe God wants me to do. And I want you to just, I give you freedom to ask me, how is that going? So that the community aspect leads us in the right direction. So Lord, we want to respond that way today. Today, Lord, before the sun goes down, we want to respond by saying, here's the path I want to walk out. 
Now as we're in prayer this morning, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Maybe you're here and maybe all this is brand new to you. This idea of God renovating your heart and even God being part of your life and people following God and people not following God. And, and you know this, you're just honest about yourself. You are not walking with God. If you looked in the stories we read today from the Bible, you would identify yourself with the people who are not following after God, who are not doing the things that God wanted. And that's, that's okay on your journey if you don't know any better until today. But you need to understand something today. Jesus loves you. He's called you into his family. He wants you to change the direction of your life. The direction your life, self-willed life, we know does not lead to the joy of the Lord, does not lead to eternal goodness with God. But Jesus offers a different path. He says, turn and come a different direction and follow after me. Be my follower. Be my student. He's inviting you to say, yes, I want to be a student of Jesus. I want to begin to follow him. And today I want to say, I want to do that. I feel something inside of me saying this is the right thing and I want to commit today to saying I want to be a follower of Jesus. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you to do something bold, but it's only going to be between you and me and God because no one else is looking around. We're all praying. If you say, Pastor Mark, I'm ready today to say yes to Jesus. I want to become a follower of his. I want you to do something. I want you to raise up your hand really high. And when I see it, I'm going to tell you to put it down. So right now, slip it up. I'm just looking around the sanctuary. Thank you, Jesus. Be a follower of Jesus. Amen. Well, Father, you know our hearts. You know our lives. And Jesus, we're here today and we say yes to you. We say yes to wanting to have hearts that are full of, of walking with you. Hearts that are obedient to your call. We don't want to miss it. We don't want to live in any fear. We don't have to live in fear, but we want to have right hearts so we, we don't miss what you're doing and we're part of it. And it's, and it's, it's amazing. That's what we want. So pray, I pray now, Lord, that your goodness and your blessing would rest upon every single one of us and our hearts would be renovated through the process of transformation so that we would have hearts that are open to your activity.